Hey guys, welcome to my series of podcast episodes about what? How? Um, My goal with these episodes is going to be to try to explain to you what a certain comprehensible input strategy is and how to implement it in your classrooms. I hope they're helpful for you. Woo, friends, today is an episode of my What How series that I am quite honestly surprised I haven't recorded sooner. So I get a ton of questions about this specific strategy and activity, and I feel like it can be kind of intimidating, especially when you've seen or heard so much about it, but have never been taught how to do it kind of broken down little by little. So today we're going to talk about one word images or OWIs. And I learned this skill um, from Teen Hargaden in a workshop at Comprehensible Midwest like three or four years ago. And until I saw a demonstration of it in action, I didn't, it didn't really click for me what it was. So at the core of it, creating a one word image is you're basically taking a regular everyday object and bringing it to life. Um, It can kind of become like class pets or characters that your students are really invested in, or it can just be an activity for the purpose of getting some some extra input. Um, So basically the way that I do one word images, and I have a ton of videos on my YouTube page of me doing them with my classes, I would highly recommend you check it out. Um, But basically I I start by kind of setting some ground rules, right? So I like to create one word images in a way where I have students kind of all calling out responses and um, doing a lot of choral um, shouting and, and things like that. And if that's not your vibe, you can totally use like little mini whiteboards or have them submit um, options in like a Desmos form or a Google form in advance or have them, um, give you the potential options like the day before and then you can kind of go through and pick out the appropriate ones. I know that um, Martina Becks from the Comprehensible Classroom and her TPT store has one word image like generators and creators. So there's a lot of different things out there, but I don't find that I need those extra things. Um, And so this is kind of how I do it, where just very analog, not a lot of digital going on at all. So at the beginning of class, I'll tell students that we're going to create a character and the character needs to be an everyday object. It can't be something that is already exists with a personality. So it can't be like the sorting hat from Harry Potter or SpongeBob um, or Billy La Bufanda. It can't already exist. It has to be just an everyday object like pizza or a toilet. Yes, we have made a one word image from a toilet before or a pencil, or a watermelon, or a tree, right? So you're getting students to come up with everyday objects. If they have a hard time kind of reining it in, you could tell them you want to do a food item. Like, hey, we're going to make a one-word image today, but it's going to start as, as a piece, as a food item. Be careful with pickles and eggplants and zucchinis and cucumbers and hot dogs. I don't think I need to say more. Um, and so the way that I do it is I kind of introduce it that we're going to be doing Um, creating a character from an everyday object and we're going to give it all of its characteristics and its personality traits and all these things. We're going to come up with it together. It's going to be our class character. 
But first, I need to hire an artist. So when I go to hire an artist, I have my students, my artists work on the chart paper, the giant post-it notes. Um, you could have a piece of butcher paper. You could have them work digitally if they know how to do that, like on Canva or if they have a different program. Or you could have them just draw on a regular piece of paper that maybe you'll scan in and um, show on the projector or something like that later. Whatever you have available to you will work. I did when we were came back from hybrid from virtual learning for like three months last year, I did have all of my students draw their own versions of the one word image. And that was quite entertaining because they all took different spins on it. But yet all of their drawings were what we had decided on the details together. So I guess um, maybe don't do that for your first one. But there's another like little twist on it. Or if you need all of your students to be engaged and paying attention and being quote unquote held accountable for like following along, having them each draw their own might be a good option. So when I hire my artists, I tell them they have to fill the whole page. It doesn't matter how big we decide the object is going to be. They have to fill the whole page so that it's easy for us to see, that they need to outline the character in black marker, and that they need to color it in with crayon. And so I have those supplies set aside for my artists by my easel and my chart paper. I have like an artist station. Um, and so then I will basically have the class um, point to a person that they think would do a good job being with this artist, that it needs to be cartoony, they have to be able to draw quick because they'll only have like 15-20 minutes to draw it, um, that they can't take, you know, multiple days and take too long, um, and that, you know, they really need to just represent what the class has chosen and decided in their, in their drawing. So, um, I have this class, I either sometimes will take volunteers, or if I've already hired a class artist as a job, then this is their job, or I will have students like point to someone who they think would do a good job with this particular kind of artwork, and then we like hire them on the spot. So then we'll clap for them, and I'll say, yay, Maya, do you accept this job as artist? And she'll be like, yes, because we've already clapped for them. And then they, um, I have them go over to the artist station and then sometimes I'll hire a second artist who like colors it in so that the main artist is responsible for the drawing and outlining and the second artist is in charge of coloring it in. Um, I don't think you have to do that, but you can if that would speed things up or make things go better for you in your classes. Um, and then I tell the students, okay, I want you to take a couple minutes and turn and talk to the people around you about some different objects that you would like to make characters and I'm like go and then I walk over to the artist and I just reiterate to them what their job is you know they should draw things right away as soon as we decide what they are they should start with pencil and then they, once they have it set they can outline in black um that they have to match what we're deciding so if we decide that the noodle is sad then they need to make sure that the picture is of a noodle and they need to make sure that the emotion it's showing is sad um, if we decide that the noodle is pink and blue then they need to color it pink and blue and I tell them like if there's something that we don't decide like we said it's pink and blue but we didn't say it was striped or polka dotted or swirls like then they can use their artist's discretion to color that in. And for my very first one word images, I keep things extremely simple. Um, and you can branch out after that if you want to, once your classes are used to this process. Um, but for like one word image 101, I'm going to recommend you just stick to these very simple um, aspects that your class will decide about your character. So then I go back to the main class and I explain to them my hand gestures for getting responses. So I will 
show them a gesture like waving towards me like give me your ideas give me your ideas and then I'll kind of like use a hand gesture kind of like uh, someone conducting a band like where they like whoop, cut it off and I will train them you know and I will tell them like if you can't respect my hand gestures for when I want answers and when I need you to stop then I'm just going to make up all the details on my own and we're not going to get your opinions which would be really sad because it's supposed to be a class character, not a Miss Leopard character. Um, and so then I'll say, okay, you know, what, que es el objeto, or what is the object? And then I will give my gesture for them to speak, and I will kind of go from one side of the room to the other and not get answers from the whole class at a time. Um, and I'm kind of listening for objects that in my mind would be good that I also know what the word is in the target language like I really try hard not to pick a word or an object if I don't know what that word is because then I have to like take the time to look it up which is fine but then it kind of messes with my flow so if they're like a dragon fruit I, I don't know off the top of my head what that is in Spanish so I probably wouldn't pick that one but if they say watermelon, I, I know what watermelon is um, off the top of my head. So I'm listening, I'm listening for ideas that like other students catch on to. So someone will be like, a piece of gum. And then another kid will be like, hey, yeah, a piece of gum. And then you know that like, okay, that's an idea that's probably going to go over okay. Um, sometimes they're just, they, they're like lunchbox, pencils, scissors, and like no one seems excited about it. So I'll like stop the whole class and I'll be like, eh, go ahead and brainstorm some more. Get, get wild with your ideas. And I let them kind of brainstorm more until either I have one that I feel like I feel good with that the students are enjoying or an idea that just I like and I think would make a good character because I'm the one who's made them before. So then I'll give them my signal to cut them off and then I'll be like, okay, it is a whatever. And then I'll clarify what it is in English so that they know what we're talking about. And then now this is the part where you got to kind of get them with you. Like we pretend in my classroom that the one word object is or one word image is real, that it's actually in the room, that it's imaginary, but it's there. So I'll be like, okay, I'm telling, doing this in L2. Class, imagine imagine that, let's just say it's a watermelon. The watermelon is in the classroom. And then I'm like, look, gesturing, look at the watermelon. I'm pointing to like this big empty space next to me. And then I like look around at the kids. And like, you know, there's kids that are just staring at you. And I'm like, Bobby, no, look at the watermelon. And you're kind of like getting them on the quote unquote crazy train or the imagination train with you because it's much more entertaining that way. And I'll be like, look at the watermelon. And then I'm like, think about the watermelon. And then we go into our first. So our first decision was what was the object? Our next decision is how big is the object? So I'll say to them, like, is the watermelon normal? And I'll like use my hands to kind of show like the normal size of watermelon. And I, and they'll, a lot of times they'll be like, see or no. And I'm kind of like ignoring them for now. Cause I just want to like run through their options and let them think about it. So, and I'm like gesturing to this empty space with the watermelon that's imaginarily in the classroom. Right. And then I'm like, is the watermelon big? Is the watermelon small? Is the watermelon really small? Is the watermelon microscopic? Is the watermelon really big? Is it enormous? And then I'll be like, okay, okay, class A. And we'll, then I'll have them kind of like give me their answers. So I'll be like, is the watermelon normal? And they're like, no. And I'll say, big? No. 
Very big? No. Enormous? And if they're all like, see, then I'm like, yeah, the watermelon is enormous. And I'm like gesturing that it's huge. And then I'll be like, okay, it's a watermelon and it's enormous. And then I usually, this is the fun part because when they're enormous, like you got to get them out of your way or else you're going to trip on them and step on them the whole class long. I will call a kid up to help me move the object (laughs) and it's not real. So I have the kid like come stand on the other side of it and I'm like, okay, are you ready? And I'll be like, uno, dos, tres. And we like lift it and I'm like, and then we like step over and like set it down off to the side. (laughs) Oh man. And if your kids don't buy into that, it's fine. You could still create a character without all the extra theatrics, but it's quite entertaining. And for me as the teacher, because the kids are like, really, seriously, (laughs) but it's quite funny. Anyway, so once we've moved it off to the side, then we move on to like our next feature. So we've just decided what the object is, what its size is. The next one that I like to do is um, color. So like, what color is the watermelon? And I'll say, like, is it normal colors, like green and pink? And if they say yes, then okay, we go with normal colors. Every once in a while, I get a group that wants the thing to be the color that it normally is. And I'm like, whatever, that's fine. Um, And then sometimes you also need to specify, like, when you're making your object. I just thought about this with, like, a watermelon. You'd have to specify, like, is it a whole watermelon or is it a piece of watermelon? And make sure you like specify that before you get into the other details so that your artist can accurately portray what your class is deciding. Um, so then, you know, I'll go through the colors and sometimes I'll, I have like my Mr. Sketch markers out that I like to hold up for color reference so that I'm not, they're not like, wait, what's azul again? Like I can just hold up the blue marker and be like, es azul? And they'll be like, see sí or no. Um, and I often will ask them like, is it one color? Again, all this is in the target language and I'm gesturing to support their comprehension. Is it one color or two colors? And I'll be like, one color. And they're like, no. Two colors? They're like, no. And then I'm like, what? Three colors? See. Or sometimes they'll be like, all the colors. And I'm like, todos los colores? Like, anyway. So once you narrow down, you can just make it one color. You don't have to ask them that. But sometimes, like, having more than one color is a little fun. So then let's say we decided on two colors. So then I'll go through the list. I'll go through my markers. And I literally am like, es azul. And then I listen for like the C or no response. And then if I hear more C's than no, I put it in one pile. If I hear more no's than C's, I put it in the other pile. And then I'll come back through the ones that had more yeses. And we'll decide on which two of those the color it is. And then once we have those colors, then I kind of go back and repeat everything we have so far. So I'll be like, okay, there's a watermelon. It is enormous. It is two colors. It is blue and purple. So like you're repeating kind of those those facts about it so that they're all imagining it, right? And then I'll tell the class again. And all the while, the artist is drawing all these things. So at this point, the artist should have the watermelon drawn. They should have it outlined, and then they could even begin coloring if they wanted. Um, Or they could draw something in the background of the picture for size. So since we decided that this watermelon is enormous, I I would tell this to the artist when I'm giving them the tips at the beginning of the lesson. I would tell them like, hey, if we decide it's really, really big, draw something for size. So if we decide it's really, really big, you could draw like a teeny tiny, like a house in the background to show how enormous the watermelon is. Or you could draw like 
an ant or something if it's microscopic or draw something to help us imagine the size just for scale so once we've done what the object is how big is it what color or colors is it then I'll have the kids like look at it and think about it again and I'll be like how is it feeling how is the watermelon feeling is the watermelon happy I usually restrict it to like four emotions at least to start with I usually ask if it's happy if it's sad if it's excited or if it's angry and every once in a while the students say no to like all of them and then I'm like is it confused is it nervous like so I'll throw a couple extras in or sometimes they want like two emotions, but again, that could be a bit much. Um, so use your discretion with that. And I'll like go through them and see like which, which emotions they want it to be. And then the artist can draw the face on the character. And if you're feeling advanced, you could vote on where the face is at the top, in the middle, at the bottom. You could vote on how many eyes it has. You could make it have arms if you wanted. You could make it have like four noses. I mean... You can go wild once you have these basic steps down, but these are just the basics. So I, you know, they'll decide, oh, it's angry. It's an angry watermelon. So then I go ahead and I repeat all the details again in the target language. Okay, there is a watermelon in class here, and the watermelon is enormous. It is blue, and it's purple, and it's angry. And now here's a really important part, because you'll probably use this later to write a story. In English, I turn it to my students, and I say, why is this watermelon so angry? And I let them, and I'll say, turn and talk to your neighbors about it. So I let them brainstorm some different ideas because in the beginning, they're probably going to give you ideas like, because it's rotten or no one wants to buy it or it's different from the other watermelons. And you want them to like give those ideas, but also go further than those ideas. So at this point, while they're all brainstorming in English... I will walk over to the artist and check in with them and let them know that for me, you know, because this is the end of the guided oral input pretty much, they've really got, you know, just a few more minutes to finish up their drawing and their coloring in. So then I'll go back to the class and I'll say, why is this watermelon so angry? And I'm giving them that motion again of like, tell me, tell me, tell me. And they'll be like, it's rotten. And I'll say, yeah, the watermelon's rotten. And, and I'm like waving again and no one wants to buy it. Yeah, no one wants to buy it. And... And it just overheard a grocery store worker said it was going to throw all the rotting produce away. <gasps> and, and I take like three or four. It's the power of yes and, right? So you're not telling the students like, oh no, that's a terrible idea, right? You're like letting them add on to it. So I'll be like, oh, the watermelon is so angry because it's rotten. Nobody wants to buy it. And it just overheard a worker at the grocery store say, hey, we're going to put all of the rotten produce in the trash in two hours, and now you suddenly have a problem to solve for when you want to write a story about this character. So if you are using the Stepping Stones curricular framework, you're creating the one word images in cycle one, phase three, and then you can write the imaginative stories about them in cycle two, phase two. So it'll be a while and you can create a couple of different characters and you can have like a multiverse like, um, you know, like the Marvel, you know, universe or whatever. You could have that with, like, all your characters if you really wanted to get in depth. Um, or they could just be totally separate characters that have their own stories and whatnot. And at this point, if you wanted to name your character, you could. Sometimes we'll vote on a name for it just because they like to have a name and it makes it more, like, 
class pet like um one year we had timmy the toast and he was like a big deal for multiple years for the one class and he was on fire um his name was timmy and fuego and or you could wait to name it until until um you create the story about it and usually i'll hang the characters up on the wall then so after we've decided that he's so angry or whatever and why in English because we all want to be on the same page and sometimes their ideas, you know, when they're trying to use L2 or the target language, they feel restricted and I want them to give me their, like, good ideas because I can easily translate a couple of those problems. Like, why the watermelon is so angry? I can easily translate that into into Spanish when we go to do a write and discuss. So then while the artist is still working, I'll, like, stand and I'll, like, tell everyone, okay, look at the watermelon. And then we'll, like, review. I'll be like, is it one color? This is the scaffolded oral review part of the lesson. Like, is it one color or two colors? Um, is it blue and pink or is it blue and purple? Is it big? Is it small or is it enormous? Um, how is it feeling? Like, I just quickly go over and review the details we decided about it. And then we do our write and discuss. So in our write and discuss, again, we're just summarizing those same details. And that last sentence, I do translate the problem into Spanish. So I would say like, um, like, you know, in my head easily, I don't necessarily know the word for rotten. So I might say like, it's not fresh or it's smelly or it's old. And, you know, a person in the store said, you know, the watermelon is going to the garbage tonight. You know, so I try to translate it into words that I know and that the students are going to understand in the target language. Then we'll read through that write and discuss text. I'll read through it in Spanish. The students will correlate translate it into English. And then it's time for the student application and assessment portion of class. I usually do a quick quiz. And then I'm like hurrying the artists along because they either need to be done before I give the quick quiz or right at the end of it so then I can reveal the artwork. If they end up not done, they need to finish during that class period. But if you don't reveal the artwork to the students, oh, poor students. They're just going to have to wait until tomorrow to be so excited to come back to Spanish class to see what this watermelon looks like. Um, and so, um, yeah, so if you have an artist review, I always tell them like a little drum roll and then we turn it around and then we're like applauding and clapping and then um, I usually hang it up on the wall in like the area for that class's gallery. So that's my process of making one word images and you can always pull it back out the next day and you can review, review the artwork. Um, if you're not following Stepping Stones curricular framework and you just want to go ahead and make a story with it, like a story asking the next day, go ahead and do that. But um, when you go to create your character, again, the basics, the bare minimum of what I like decide in that story creation or in that character creation process is what is it? What's its size? What color or colors is it? How is it feeling? Why does it feel that way? And then I've got all the ingredients I need to write a great story with my students after that. Again, please check out my YouTube page. You can just search for my name, Caitlin Leppert, on YouTube, and you will find um, I have a whole playlist for One Word Images that has me using One Word Images or individual invisibles, create individually created characters, and so on and so forth, because there's so much you can do beyond just making a class character with this concept.